0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to uh, the Wayne Cathy Kathy show. I'm your host, Kathy Zhang. So today I will bring you a featured report on the school choice movement nationwide versus uh, the teachers union. So uh, there's a lot of uh, in-depth uh, uh, interview. So, but before that, we'll have an update on the Mar-a-Lago search, the warrant affidavit hearing attorneys, for the United States Department of Justice and various media agencies took turn arguing before the federal judge magistrate about whether the affidavit for the um, search of uh, former President Trump's home at Mar-a-Lago should remain sealed today. The U.S. uh, Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhardt weighed between the uh, concerns of the Department of Justice that releasing the affidavit could jeopardize their investigation versus the concerns of the media and the legal organizations whose attorney questioned the legality of a blanket restriction. So this afternoon, after one hour and a half long hearing, Judge Reinhardt agreed with the media that portions of the affidavit should be unsealed. The lawyer who represents the media organization, Chuck Tobin, he said, "We, the people, are the ultimate stakeholders." He said that transparency is paramount in a case as unprecedented as this one, and he said, "Quote, you can't trust." what you cannot see." And uh, the prosecutor with the Justice Department, Jay Brett, said uh, he wants to caution that so much of the affidavit will need to be redacted, only gibberish will remain. Lawyer Tobin countered that uh, it's not up to the government to decide what is and is not of interest to the general public. And the, the lawyer from the Justice Department, Brett, argued that, uh, quote, amateur sleuth on the internet may be able to figure out the names of the people referenced in the affidavit, putting their safety at risk, and potentially dissuade future witness from cooperating with the investigation. He also said that releasing a redacted version sets a difficult precedence for the government to uphold. So, And he argued also it takes time and the resources to make those redactions, and uh, which uh, the resources may be pulled away from the actual investigation. But the, the lawyers representing the me- media reminded the judge time again over the course of the hearing that the judge is the gatekeeper between the government and the public. And uh, lawyer Tobin said that uh, any proposed reductions must be looked at critically. And Judge Reinhardt said uh, at the closing of the proceeding, That, uh, quote, this is going to be a considerate, careful process. And uh, so the conclusion is the government will file its proposed reductions on August 25th. And uh, if the judge finds them satisfactory, he will issue an order to move forward with the reductions. If he does not, He would either hold another hearing with the government or issue his own proposed reductions. And what if there's a disagreement between the government, the DOJ, and uh, the Judge Reinhardt? He said, obviously, I win. So, well, we'll have to wait at least until August 25th to have the DOJ has its own version of redacted affidavit and then you know, who knows how long it will take to reveal this um, redacted version of the affidavit. So what do you think? Please leave your comments there and uh, we'll review th- that together You know, shortly. Now let's move on to today's uh, feature story so now millions of school children across the country starting this academic year um, this fall families for the first time since the pandemic are not only having the most school open for you know um the, the most school open but also they will have more access to school choice than ever, especially with a monumental school choice legislation signed into law in the state of Arizona in July. In the meantime, public schools are seeing record decline in decades. So in today's report, we'll have a deep dive in this topic. The school choice movement, which advocates parents' freedom of choice, their rights, to the kids' education and the major challenges facing and the battle behind it. I talked to three guests, who, uh, including a student who personally benefited from the school choice program and now he's advocating for it. Another one is an education policy expert. The third guest is an anti-communism expert who breaks down the history of teachers' union. So first of all, according to multiple sources, 1.5 to 2 million students in the country stopped attending public school since the pandemic. This is the largest decline in more than 20 years, and which means it's also the largest decline since the start of the century. Most states have seen enrollment declines for two straight years. So where did those students go? Many of them enrolled in other types of schooling. According to 18 states that share the data, the number of homeschooling students increased by 63% in the 2020-21 school year, then fell by only 17% in uh, the next year, 2021 22. According to the US Census Bureau, before the pandemic induced the surge, only about 3% of the students were homeschooled. So, more and more families are turning away from public schooling, and more and more states are doing things to assist the parents making their own choices with adopting various school choice policies. So, Arizona is the leading one. In July, it scored a landmark victory for school choice. Governor Jack, uh, Doug Ducey signed a bill to expand the private voucher system to every K-12 student in the state. Every one of the 1.1 million students in Arizona who participate in the program will would receive close to 7,000 per year for any type of school, tutoring or any other kinds of education services that fit their needs outside of the traditional public school system. This universal school choice legislation in Arizona has garnered national attention, which was praised as the one that will be a model for a state across the country to emulate and a breakthrough of the school choice movement. So let's hear one of uh, the students who personally benefited from the school choice program before, and now is advocating for such program.
1: The big thing about Arizona is that it is now the gold standard when it comes to school choice and education freedom across the whole country. Uh, Governor Ducey and uh, the legislators uh, in Arizona passed a universal um, educational savings account which means every student in the state, which is roughly 1.1 million students will be able to take roughly $7,000 of the state funding and use it towards tuition, uh, private school tuition, supplies, tutoring, courses that their uh, public school may not offer. And so it's a huge win for the, the parents and families in Arizona to be able to really control and individualize their, their learning needs.
0: So that's Walter. And uh, Matt Bamberg is the director of education policy at the Goldwater Institute, which is a free market public policy research and litigation organization based in Phoenix, Arizona. He told me that the institute is heavily involved in the passing of this landmark legislation.
2: We at the Goldwater Institute actually helped pioneer the nation's first ESA program, or Education Savings Account, which is the program that the Arizona legislature just expanded to go for every student in the state of Arizona to make them eligible for it. So uh, Goldwater helped pioneer that idea about 10 years ago, and Arizona first implemented the program for a small number of students back in 2011. uh, And now we've been working each year to help improve that program and extend eligibility and help more students be able to access it.
0: So obviously, you know, a lot of history of the school choice and especially this program. So how do you think uh, the significance of Arizona passing this bill?
2: Uh, It's incredibly significant. This is the most robust school choice program that's been enacted anywhere in the United States. And again, it basically says. Any student in Arizona who's eligible to attend a public school now also has an extra option if they feel that their needs would not be met in a a public school setting. They can apply for and join the ESA program and get a scholarship of about $7,000 for each student. And the family gets that money and is able to use that for essentially any educational purpose for that student.
0: So the school choice uh, allows public education funds to follow students to the schools or services that best fit their needs. Actually, it can be traced back nearly 150 years ago. Vermont started a town tuition program um, for families in 1869. The modern movement of the school choice began in the early 1990s. In 1991, Wisconsin became the first state to create a modern school voucher program. The same year, Minnesota became the first state to create a law allowing charter schools. Walter Blanks Jr. with the American Federation for Children said that himself, uh, has been a beneficiary of such program, which inspired him working for the School Choice Advocate Organization, American Federation for Children.
1: From Ohio, um, got the uh, EdChoice Scholarship program, I allowed me to attend a small private uh, school where my educational journey flourished. I often say that I was surrounded by uh, poverty, crime, and low expectations in my community. And my public school was was no exception of that either. So I was able to be in a safe environment where I could really thrive. And I graduated high school, graduated college, which statistically was not the expectation in my community. And so school choice essentially saved my life. And now I have the honor of, of fighting for the next generation of students experience. And the part of the matter is everything I child regardless of how much how much money their parents make, they grow up, or any of those things, they should have a high quality education. Uh, high quality education uh, equals an educated, highly educated populace, which is what we want. We all win when our children are educated. And so I'm, I'm very proud of the work that we've done at the American Federation for Children and all of our allied organizations to continue to push for school choice across the country.
0: Matt Benbark said that uh, Walter's experience is not unique
2: there have been a number of studies that have been done the Urban Institute which is actually a left-leaning think tank did one a few years ago on the Florida tax credit scholarship which is actually the largest private school choice program in the nation and it serves predominantly low-income students. And they found that this program, unsurprisingly, actually boosted college growing rates and graduation rates for these students. We've seen a number of different studies show that, particularly when it comes to long-term outcomes, right? these students who may have access to, to schools that may provide better student safety, they provide better learning environments that make sure these kids stay on track. So we've actually seen from programs across the country evidence saying these kids do better, and also the students in the schools who remain in public school themselves tend to do better, And the idea is essentially that competition helps everybody do better and encourages everybody to improve the offerings that they have for students, knowing that they have to attract students if they're not the only game in town.
0: So with more and more parents want to take their kids education into their own hands, defenders of the status quo are also gearing up their defense. In July, the same month that Arizona passed its comprehensive school choice bill, a West Virginia judge struck down a law that would have funneled state money into a program that incentivized families to pull their children out of public school.
2: So the challenge is that you obviously again have very entrenched interests who, who view competition as a threat. So the, the sort of public school education establishment, the unions among them, uh, view competition as a threat. So again, I mentioned we have public independent charter schools, even they, because they typically are not part of the union machine, take a lot of attacks from these organizations. And so we've seen very, very strong efforts from the unions to stop this. Even in other states like West Virginia, The unions organized protests and walkouts against legislation that was actually going to increase pay for teachers just because it was also going to allow an ESA type of program. So these organizations have decided they would rather shoot down educational freedom and school choice for kids, even if that means sacrificing pay for teachers, because they would rather maintain essentially a monopoly of power over the education system
1: we're seeing that across the country. Um, Virginia, West Virginia, even in here in uh, Tennessee, where I, where I reside, um, there's a lot of opposition to the programs. And um, the program here in, in Tennessee has been tied up in the Supreme Court. Uh, Tennessee Supreme Court for the past few years uh, recently was just lifted and, and parents are enrolling and, and applying for it. And so The big thing is is politics and, and power dynamics. The unions have had a stronghold on the public education system and any type of innovative ideas uh, for decades. To be quite frank, the unions have uh, blocked that they that they could have to ensure that uh, school choice isn't expanded, but we're on the side of parents, we're on the side of families. And at the end of the day, I personally don't care where parents send their children to school, as long as those children are happy, they're thriving and, and they're learning. And there's a lot of conversations now around um, the learning loss crisis that our children have, have experienced and Senator Tim Scott has created a bill to, to allow some of those the COVID relief dollars to go towards families to battle that and so right now we're kind of in cleanup mode right we're, we want these students to recover from uh, the effects of the pandemic and, and school choice is a good way to remedy that
0: so why the teachers union could have such a stronghold over the public school system
2: So the United States Constitution doesn't say anything about K-12 education. The founders envisioned that state governments, local governments uh, essentially would be the ones to help provide public education. And so a lot of state constitutions, Arizona among them, has a provision that says this state will essentially provide for public education. But what we've seen over the years is that you essentially end up with a monopoly where teachers unions have grown increasingly powerful. And these are organizations with a lot of political clout. We've seen the National Education Association, which is the nation's largest teachers union, push very radical, aggressive policies that are political, that have nothing to do with education, and essentially moving away from a focus on student learning and pushing an agenda. And so as parents have become frustrated to say, It seems like the direction of my school is less about making sure my students are proficient in reading math and science and instead they're spending time on a lot of very progressive ideologically left-wing policies that aren't actually helping equip kids for the future
0: according to your knowledge when did that start to happen like the teachers union becoming so powerful they have in a different agenda
2: so it's definitely been a growing issue. I'd say in the last handful of years in particular, we've seen them be, be even more bold. And so far as every year, again, the NEA gets together and now has a national assembly where they vote on a series of resolutions. And over the last five years or so, we've seen those resolutions get increasingly divorced from education. So for example, they actually voted down a resolution a few years ago that said, we're going to make student learning the priority of the association, and then turned around and voted up a whole slew of political resolutions criticizing American foreign policy, dealing with social issues, had nothing to do with education. And so I think we've seen really in just the last few years, they have become emboldened to to kind of toss aside any semblance of of pretending that students are their focus. And instead, again, we saw during COVID, lots of instances where the teachers unions were actively trying to block educational access for students and demanding, you know, almost $200 billion was spent on K-12 just for COVID stimulus funds. And that was largely a result of teachers unions helping to shut down schools. And now we're seeing the ramifications of that where particularly minority students, but students of, of all backgrounds suffered for almost two years as a result of these disruptions to student learning.
0: So I still wanted to find out exactly why the, student, uh, the teachers' union have you know, a very different agenda other than making sure the kids got a better education. And why could the teachers' union become so powerful? I talked to Trevor Loudon, who is an author, filmmaker, and a public speaker from New Zealand, and now resides in the United States. And uh, Trevor Loudon has researched radical left Marxist communist and the terrorist movement and their covert influence on mainstream politics for more than 30 years. He is best known for his book titled uh, Enemies Within, Communists, Socialists, and the Progressives in the United States Congress. His most recent documentary film is called uh, Enemies Within the Church
3: the teachers unions kathy are one of the, some of the most powerful unions in the country um, and they run by the hard left every teachers union is run by marxists socialists communists etc and they want a monopoly of power their, their goal is to control the minds of the children they don't want the children polluted by by the ideas of their parents and you will find all over the country they are, you know, trying to encourage teachers to keep the parents out of education so they can, um, you know, indoctrinate, you know, with their sex education, their left wing values, etc. So, you know, Lenin used to call the unions the transmission belt of communism. You now, unions are how you bring communism to the masses and teachers' unions are how you bring communism to the school children. So if they have school choice, that destroys their monopoly. They can't control the kids to the same degree, and kids will get bad ideas. They will get their parents' ideas. They might go to a a, a Christian school or a conservative school or a, a, a Buddhist school or something, and they'll be outside of the control of the unions so this is all about power the teachers unions are just riddled with members of democratic socialists of america communist party usa etc their, their goal is complete control over the children of the united states
0: so trevor can you explain to us because for people what they know about the union including teachers union is you know the collective negotiation Bargaining power so that they can bet, yeah. have had better benefits, better salary. Yeah. So, can you explain explain to us how come the teachers' union be you know controlled by those uh, leftist ideology?
3: Well, it's it's the same in every labor union in the country now, and and see, America used to have conservative unions up until about 1994. And they were led by people like George Meany and Lane Kirkland, who were patriotic Americans. But in 1994, Democratic Socialists of America took over the AFL-CIO. And Democratic Socialists of America is an openly Marxist organisation. They are aligned with Cuban communists, Brazilian communists, the Communist Party USA, and and pro-Chinese communist groups. So. They took over the AFL-CIO in 1994, and they, they put their, ma- their member, John Sweeney, in as president of the AFL-CIO, the main labor union body in the country. And then they removed the clause in the AFL-CIO's constitution, saying that uh, communists could hold office in AFL-CIO's unions, because it used to be forbidden. communists to hold office in any union affiliated with the afl cio which the teachers unions pretty much all are and so um they 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 started bringing more and more communists into the unions more and more democratic socialists of america people and they took over the unions it's not hard to take over a union all you have to do is get one person elected to a senior position in a union Uh, a position of authority like the secretary or, or or the president and then they will start to hire their communist friends and they will start to get rid of the normal people this is how they took over the unions this is how they've taken over most of the universities how they're even taking over churches these days look from a communist revolutionary point of view one of your first targets is the teachers union because if you control the teachers union you can control a curriculum you can influence the curriculum you can work to get rid of teachers you don't like you can make teachers conform to your line and you get huge control over the uh, millions of children in america see um the teachers unions work with democratic socialists of america to to get certain curriculum put into the system.
0: For example,
3: what kind of a curriculum? Well, there's a a gentleman out in, uh, in Southern California, he's a member of Sacramento Democratic Socialists of America, and he writes the history curriculums that are used in all California textbooks. Dwayne Campbell is his name. He's a long term Marxist, member of the Teachers Union. He writes the history curriculum for every California history book that are used all over the state and many other parts of the country as well. And he glorifies people like Cesar Chavez, who was a Marxist, a revolutionary labor union leader. And they, they write the history books cover people like this. The history books don't talk about the American Revolution or or American patriotism or the great things America did. They talk about the Marxist leaders, the Marxist labor union leaders. So these kids are learning to glorify Marxist heroes and they know nothing about the real history of this country. You know, Dwayne Campbell is a card carrying member of Democratic Socialists of America a long-term Marxist, but he writes the the history curriculum that every California high school um, student reads. And the teachers' unions, which he's part of, back this up to enforce their narrative. One of the main developers of curriculum for kindergarten children is the Erickson Institute from Chicago. That's run by by Barbara Taylor Bowman, the the mother of Valerie Jarrett, who was President Obama's advisor. That is a Marxist-run organization which cooperates directly with the youth wing of the Chinese Communist Party to develop communist propaganda for the Chinese kids, but also communist propaganda for American kindergarten kids, which is then promoted by the communist labor unions. So they are involved in education from 3-, 4-, and 5-year-olds right up to PhD level.
0: You said they put the leaders uh, into, you know, higher position. Uh, for example, uh, Wendy Weingartner.
3: She has a long history of, of activism with socialist and Marxist causes. She is a, of, of the extreme left. But that's standard. You would you would not find a conservative or moderate education union leader at national level or even state level anywhere the leaders are you, you at the lower levels you'll find some moderates you'll find some ordinary americans who hold positions but the higher you go the more marxist they get weingardner is of the extreme left absolute extreme left She um, used to be a
0: history teacher, I
3: saw. Yeah, well, that's that's right. So she rose through the ranks. But the thing is, in today's environment, you do not get to rise unless you are a Marxist. It's like the mafia. You know, the mafia comes to Las Vegas, and there's only maybe 50 of them. But they intimidate people. They work secretly to promote each other. They um, do deals with politicians, and they get complete, the, the mafia got con- complete control over Las Vegas. Well, the teachers' unions, the unions run exactly the same game. They work with the local Democrat politicians. They take the, the money that the teachers, the, the teachers give them. You know, you pay union dues, which are a lot of money. And they use that money in political campaigns so they get the politicians on their side and they only support the left-wing Democrats. And then they, um, you know, they, they become a, like a mafia. You can't challenge them. You can't run against them because they have the support. And because you don't know their affiliations, you don't know how they're working together, and you don't always know the politicians they're working with, It's like fighting the mafia. You don't know who you're fighting. And they will do anything to stop you. Once they're in control, they will not give up control. Lenin, they follow Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, the, the father of the Bolshevik revolution. And Lenin said, it is not the gaining of power that is important. It is the keeping of power that's important. So once the communists take over a labor union, and they've taken over virtually every labor union in the country now, um, you can't get rid of them. They, they just hang on. They don't. They will cheat in elections. They will intimidate opponents. They will um, use money dishonestly. They will funnel um, you know union Jews into their own campaigns to make sure you can't beat them. They they are they are they are a Marxist mafia. The the Marxist mafia controls the labor unions in America, and specifically the teachers unions, because that was one of their very first targets to get control of the minds of the children.
0: So you think it's a kind of a planned, a systematic takeover?
3: Well, 100 percent. You know the unions. I used to have a friend who was a union, uh, who was a communist in New Zealand, Uh, one of the top people in the New Zealand Communist Party. She said, the unions were our first priority, particularly teachers unions. You get control of the union desk. You, you, You get one of your people put in as the union president or the union secretary. Then you fire and get rid of all the moderates. Then you just keep on hiring more communists and, and it, it's very systematic. This is what they do. Just like the mafia systematically took over Las Vegas, the, the communist unions systematically take over unions. It's, um, one of the last unions that was not communist was the Teamsters Union. But in the last election, the Freedom Road Socialist Organization, organization which is a, a pro-Chinese communist group, they were behind the George Floyd rioting. They had infiltrated the um, UPS and Amazon. They got a lot of their drivers um, working for the for the uh, Teamsters Union, and they effectively took over the Teamsters Union and the election last year. That was really the last major union in America that went communist.
0: So how do you think the members, the teachers uh, in the union, how many, just roughly, like, are aware of that? You know, how many people are not aware well, of that? Well,
3: very, very few. You know, it's a lot of the teachers, you know, they've been through university, so they've become a bit left-wing by going through university and the public school system. So a lot of them are sympathetic to this. They think, you know, they believe in this left-wing agenda. But the ones who don't, the Christians or the conservatives, shut their mouths because they know they'll get fired if they don't. So what we have to do is we have a campaign to deregister the teachers' unions entirely. Even Franklin Roosevelt, the Democrat president, did not want government unions. He knew it would be a disaster because what happens is you're employed by the government, you have to pay compulsory union dues. Those dues get funneled into the Democratic Party that then makes legislation to keep you in power to make it hard to leave. So there are organisations out there who are working to bring people out of the teachers' unions. Um, there are legal things that can be done, um, and I encourage every every teachers' union member. If you value your career, you value your kids. If you have a you're a real teacher who wants to teach kids truth not propaganda and left-wing indoctrination, get out of the teachers' union. You have to do that. You're selling your soul by belonging to this organization now. And I understand that's not easy, but this is this is your duty as a teacher to, to teach honestly and ethically, do the best by your children, not teach this left-wing propaganda that the teachers' unions are encouraging and enforcing.
0: So both Matt and Walter believes that the teachers' union are at odds with most of the parents.
2: We've seen a doubling of the number of states that have ESAs and and such school choice programs just in the last handful of years. So I think that we're absolutely seeing momentum. I think that there's an increasing disconnect. We've actually seen polling. Uh, Education Next, which is a Harvard-affiliated journal a couple years ago, did some polling, for instance, where they asked about support for school choice. And among minority families, the support was usually three to four to one. But when they asked teachers union members, it was the exact opposite. And so you have a split between sort of the education establishment who wants to stop these opportunities from being available for families and families across the spectrum who say, yes, please give us this choice. We'd like to have this, this opportunity.
1: The school choice wave, which is I, I like to refer to it as that, is, is still very strong uh, across the country. Uh, more in the, past, in the past two years, especially coming out of COVID, uh, 19 states have expanded or created new programs. And so what we see now is just a wide uh, variety of of options for, for parents and families. And then to switch over a little bit on the, on the political side, we have a lot of candidates uh, running in elections and they're winning because of school choice policy, because they stand with parents and they stand with students. And quite a few members who have opposed school choice legislation have lost their seats across the country. So it's not an isolated um, incident. Uh, parents are, are stepping up, they're, they're making sure that their voices are heard uh, for their children. And so now across the landscape moving forward, I expect to see more innovative programs and initiatives pop up across the country where parents are finally in the driver's seat of their children's education.
0: Indeed, last year, 19 states uh, enacted 32 new or expanded school choice policies, making 2021 the year of school choice. Now, a total of 21 states and Washington, D.C. offer school choice programs that gives parents financial assistance and uh, private school options. Even parents in states like California, where you know, we have the strongest uh, teachers union are trying to put school choice on the upcoming November ballot. So for parents in the states who want to adopt or expand the school choice program, what's the successful experience from Arizona?
2: I think it's clear that it takes leadership uh, both from political leaders, but then also grassroots and, and parents. And so I think that it was very clear you know, Arizona has worked for years to help extend eligibility for this program and coming out of COVID with parents who really did feel frustrated and had a lot of pent up energy to say, we need something better, our kids deserve something better. And then to have that leadership provided by our governor, Doug Ducey, uh, the representative who sponsored the legislation, Ben Toma, We had folks who, who really went above and beyond to help push this over the finish line. And at the same time, you know, we hear from the unions that this is going to hurt public education. The Arizona legislature put in hundreds of millions of dollars of extra funding to public schools at the same time that they opened up this program. So really, again, the focus is to provide pathways and opportunities to kids, regardless of, of what form they choose, even as the unions think there should be only one path that every student should have to follow, regardless of whether or not it's gonna fail that student.
0: And uh, overall, what message the school choice movement delivers?
2: I think it's unfortunate we've seen a big push, again, from the left to cut parents out and, and on any number of issues. Again, basically saying, trust us, trust the experts, uh, parents butt out. And I think that it's very clear Arizona has passed legislation, as have a number of states, uh, to restore the primacy of parents and make it clear that bureaucrats do not get a blank check to, to kind of run amok uh, when it comes to their students.
0: All right. Great. Yeah. So anything else you would like to share with our audience about this uh, subject?
2: Just that we are very excited to have been a part of this expansion of ESAs and School Choice in Arizona, and we look forward to other states being able to follow and to a, a great grassroots movement from, from parents uh, all across the country.
1: Uh, it's definitely a political uphill battle, but I believe when you highlight the the voices of, of the parents and the families and the students like myself who benefited from similar programs i think that has a stronger weight and and ultimately right we live in this beautiful country where people are able to vote and and pick their champions and and i believe in in virginia like you mentioned parents parents you know went to the ballot box right and they and they made sure that their voices were heard and so i think moving forward going into to november going into uh 2024 it's going to be important for parents to get involved and and, and to fight for their children um, because that's the only way it's really going to get done. The unions have such a strong strong stronghold, particularly on the Democratic Party, that uh, a lot of Democrat legislators are um, conceding to whatever they say and and their demands. And so now um, it's time to release the children, right? Children should no longer be hostages within the education system. All
0: right. So how do you think? Of um, you know the the subject and uh, the interviewer, uh, the three guests uh, they talk about uh, are from different aspects. So uh, let me know, you know, write your comments down there. And I saw there's a discussion. Um, uh, Daniel, you said um, I think five states have banned the uh, teachers union: Texas, North and the South Carolina, Virginia, and one another. Uh, I think that's Georgia. The fifth one is Georgia. Um, I'm not sure if they ban the teachers' union. They don't have. Uh, they don't allow collective uh, negotiation. Um, so, but exactly how that works, I'm not sure. So, if any of uh, our audience here, uh, you know, live in those states or know that, please share with us. So, um, Curtis, you said uh, wake up, kids. Um, TDS is real, all right. And um, um, Daniel, you uh, you continue to say some school systems have a uh, closed uh, shop. What does that? What are you referring to? So, uh, book. You said the unions are good temporarily. Once they are done the job, disbanded. So. Yeah, according to Trevor uh, Loudon, you know, Union before they have some, you know, they have uh, maybe some more uh, on the conservative side and uh, some may more, maybe more on the liberal side. But uh, the thing is, as he mentioned, since 1994, the extreme left, the leftists took over and uh, gradually right, starting at that time as his um, research shows. So um, that's the danger he sees and that that's the deeper reason he sees why the teachers union, you know, have such a political agenda instead of really focusing on children's education. Uh, Daniel, you said that you have to belong to the union to work in the school system. Well, yeah, right now the public syst- uh, public school system is kind of in the hands of the teachers union and that's why a lot of uh, parents especially after the pandemic uh, realized you know they should they need to fight for their own choices and uh, that's what's going on all right so um yeah so you know continue to share with your, your thoughts in the comments which would also help to spread this um a video. Also remember to register on the new free speech platform, Ganjingworld.com. Ganjing means pure, pure world, To really support the free speech for everyone, you know, no matter what kind of political stance, no matter what kind of party you belong to or you are affiliated with. Uh, free speech is for everyone is everybody need so ganjingworld.com, please register and follow our show there uh, the Wayne Kathy show so uh, thank you again for spending the time with us and uh, take care we'll see you tomorrow good night bye-bye